Today's reading describes all that takes place the night before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The anointing described is something that culturally would only happen in two situations, a coronation or a burial. Unbeknownst to all but Mary and Jesus, the upcoming week's events will include both. This is the Holy Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. This is quite the story that we have today. It is a deep one and a complex one, so we'll dive right into it. But first, it's a little bit on what has come before it. So do you guys remember the story about Mary and Martha? It's the sisters who are bickering as Jesus comes over, and Martha's doing all of the cleaning and the cooking, and Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. Okay, this is that family. So Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And the chapter right before this one... Do you remember the story of Lazarus? This is the one where he gets really, really sick. And his sisters send to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and help him. And Jesus does travel back to be there with him. But by the time he gets there, it's too late. Lazarus has died. So the devastated sisters meet Jesus when he arrives and they tell him the news. And do you remember what Jesus does when he hears it? He weeps. So Jesus breaks down weeping. The sisters lead him to the tomb. And do you remember what happens next? Jesus tells them to roll the stone away. He says, Lazarus, come out. And out comes Lazarus, arrive and well and walking. This is by far the biggest miracle that Jesus has done up to this point. Yes? And it is so big, in fact, that this becomes the final tipping point when he does this, where all of the Jewish leaders are like, you know what, we definitely have to kill this guy. Because if we don't get rid of him, he is drawing so much attention that the Roman Empire is going to come in and kill all of us for the acts of just this one man. We have got to take care of this. So Jesus, at that point in the story, kind of goes almost into hiding, right? He, he goes further outside Jerusalem and is hiding in people's homes. But everyone is fully expecting him to come back to Jerusalem for the big Passover festival that's coming up. And so they make the plan, when he comes back to Jerusalem, that is when we will arrest him. And they know that, and Jesus knows that, and even knowing all of that, he is still going to go back there. But before he re-enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he gathers for one final meal on that last night, and that's the night where we get this story. 
This is a really complicated story, so I think it's probably easiest just to go through it line by line. So you can either follow in your bulletin or, Nancy, if you want to put the reading back up on the screen. All right, so it starts six days before the Passover, and already that's important. Because sixth day, the sixth day in the Bible is the day of the completion, right? That's the day creation is completed. Completion happens on the sixth day, the seventh day you rest. So sixth day, day of completion. So with this final meal, with this anointing by Mary, this marks the completion of Jesus' earthly ministry. Everything that comes after this is pointing not to his life, but to his death. All right, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. We already talked about that. There they gave a dinner for him. Now the setting of this story is really important to so much of Jesus' ministry, especially in the Gospel of John, happens around a meal, around a table. So that's important. But then it's also just a really beautiful domestic scene of this family gathered to eat together and thinking about Jesus and the life that he had and what he's facing next. The scriptures refer to him as the son of man who had no place to lay his head. This this story is the closest that Jesus ever gets to having a home and having a family. So think of the, the poignancy of that as you hear the rest of it. Martha served, of course she did, and Lazarus was one of the ones at the table with him. That's no small matter. Lazarus is well enough to be with them, sitting with them, eating with them at the table. This is the Lazarus over whom Jesus was just weeping. This is the Lazarus who was just raised from the dead, and now this Lazarus is here sitting here getting to figure out what is he going to do with his second chance, his post-resurrection life. So that's like most of, we've almost got the whole cast of characters. Here's where it starts to get really interesting. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. This kind of anointing, this is something that happens either at a coronation or at a burial. And Mary seems to be the only one who understands that for Jesus, the moment of his death and the moment of his kingship are going to be the exact same thing. But why, anointing is usually done on the head, like we do with baptism, right? So why, if it's usually head, why is, why is she anointing his feet? Well, it's a humility thing. It's a hospitality thing, a really big important in their culture. And it's also a thing about service, right? The service of bending down and caring for someone else's feet. And it's an example of service that Jesus himself is going to follow in the next chapter when he washes his disciples' feet. The Greek word that they use for wiping that she does with her hair and the Greek word that they use for washing of their feet that Jesus does, same word in Greek. So essentially, Mary does this lavish act of service for Jesus. Jesus then follows her example, turns and does that for his disciples and tells them, now you go and do the same. But the, also the scandalousness of it should not be lost, lost on us. So a Jewish woman at this time would have her hair covered in public at all times. So to let your hair down in front of um, someone who is not your husband, this is a, a very dramatic and very intimate gesture of extreme love and gratitude from this woman whose brother has just 
been saved by Jesus. Ah, but then we get one more character. Then Judas comes. And Judas appears on the scene and he says, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? 300 denarii? If they really could get that for it? That's like a year's wages for a day laborer. So say maybe like $20,000 in our time. That's a pretty expensive foot bath, $20,000. I think Judas has like a little bit of a point here. Then the writer goes on to share his motives though, right? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, kept the common money bag and used to skim money off the top of it. So Judas, like many of us, is really good at coming up with rational, reasonable, plausible explanations for ignoring what God has asked of us. We are really good at convincing ourselves that a decision made for our own self-interest is actually in the best interest of others. And Jesus' response is immediate and it is unequivocal. Leave her alone. And this is a great stand, not only to back her, but also in support of anyone whose voices or gifts have ever been silenced by the church or by the world. Leave her alone. She bought this so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Mary seems to be the only one there of all the followers who understands the enormity of what is about to take place. And then Jesus' last words, which have been so incredibly misunderstood and misused over the, word, over the years. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. It almost sounds like Jesus is saying, don't even bother giving money to the poor because no matter how much money you throw at the problem, they are always going to be poor. He's actually saying almost the exact opposite of that. The words that he says here, that last sentence, that's a quotation. So he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, which is God giving the Israelites instructions on how they are to live when they get to the promised land. And God commands them to be open-handed, is the word that they use. Be open-handed with everything that you have, because there's so much abundance in the promised land that if you live in that open-handed way, there's so much more than enough to go around that if you live like that, it says, there will be no one of need among you. That's how good it could be if you're able to be generous. And so for this passage, when you look at the Greek, depending on how you translate it, Jesus is either saying to Judas, like, you, Judas, you're always going to have the poor with you because you insist stubbornly on living in such a closed, tight-fisted way. Or the other possibility is that Jesus is saying, you, people of God, you will always have the poor near and dear and close to your heart because you know how important they are to God. And you know that when I'm gone, the closest you will come to seeing my face is in the faces of people who are hurting and suffering around you. So lots happening in the scripture, a lot going on. But what is it that God wants us to hear from these words now? I think maybe this. There is a time and a place to be prudent and frugal and thrifty with our money and with our time and with our energy. 
but there is also a time and a place for extravagance. So ours is a God of abundance. Ours is a God of have your cake and eat it too. And any time that we're feeling like we're worried there's not enough to go around, we're feeling stressed to choose between two good things, we're feeling like we need to steal from Peter to pay Paul, usually it's not because there's a shortage of wealth. Usually it's because we are not trusting in the goodness and the bounty of God's bigger picture. When we talk about Jesus, we are talking about the guy who, when the wine was running short at the wedding, he goes ahead and makes 180 more gallons of it. That is like way more than enough wine for any wedding feast. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the guy who takes five loaves, two fish, and somehow finds a way to feed 5,000 people with enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets full of stuff. This is the guy who, when Simon Peter can't find a single fish, Jesus says, put your net on the other side, and 153 fish jump into his net. That is the God who we're talking about. And so, of course, it all begs the question, right? Like, how do you know when to do which? How do you know when to be frugal? And how do you know when to be abundant and extravagant and generous? And I think that maybe the answer, at least based on Mary and the story, is well, who is it for? Because when it's for ourselves, we try our best to be as simple as possible. But when it's for others, the way of God is abundant, extravagant generosity. And I share this today not because this is something I'm good at, but because this is something I struggle with and something that I am working on. And I just, I'll always remember, you guys, some of you saw the food pack that we did a couple weeks ago. You set up the assembly lines and you make the emergency food packs for people. Well, so I think that was our fifth food pack that we've done. And the first one we did was over at the Cross of Life campus. And we started it because there was a girl who had grown up at Unity and she had graduated from college and she didn't have a job yet. And so she came to us and she said, I want something to do. I want to help people. What can I do? I want to do this food pack. So we're like, okay, sure, go for it. What are you thinking? She's like, I want to get 500 people to come. We're like, okay, that's a good goal, but maybe, maybe set like a realistic goal that, you know, that we'll be able to achieve. So do you want to set a goal for like maybe 50 people or 100? And she's like, nope, I want to do 500. She was set on it. We're like, all right. 534 people showed up that first year. And you would think that that would be enough for me to get it, right? That this is the God that we're working with. But no. So then there's the day of the food pack, and we pay like $45 a box for the food. And so we ask people to make these donations to offset the cost. But it's nerve-wracking when you're planning it, because you never know how much you're going to receive until the event is all over and the food is all packed. So there it is, the food pack day. And people were, you know, they were packing their box. They made their donation, packed their box. And then they'd be like, you know what? I, I could do more. Like, I'd be happy. I'm going to stay and pack some more boxes. I can help out more. And I was running around being like, no, 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 you're not, no packing. You can't pack anymore. Leave. You need to leave and go home. Go away, because I was so worried about the money. And in fact, this like embarrassing. I was so worried about it that I was running around and stealing empty boxes from underneath people's tables so we wouldn't fill as many and wouldn't have such a big bill at the end of the day. And after all that stress, we get to the end of the day, and we add everything up, and you know what happened, right? 
People were so generous. There was way more than enough to cover all of the boxes. And we were able to make this big donation to help pay for the food additionally to be shipped down to El Salvador. So God is good. I am learning. And I really, this is something I learned so much from this church and from all of you guys because this is the place where over and over again you just knock my socks off with your generosity of money and energy and care for each other. So all good things to be thinking about, all good things to work on, at least for me. But I think just my closing prayer for myself and for all of us is just um, may God give us a lot of wisdom about these things. May God help us to trust in the abundance of God's blessings. May God help us keep it really simple with things for ourselves and help us be incredibly generous with the people around us. And then may the acts of love that happen in this place, may that fragrance spread and spread and spread until the whole world is full of it. Amen.